The Edge is copyright 2006 by Scott Wittenberg. To learn more about this and other novels by the author, please visit scottwittenberg.com. And be sure to check out The Mayday Murders, another free podcast currently available by Scott Wittenberg. Chapter 11, Part 2 She turned and stared at her captor, or whatever he was. Maybe chauffeur was the proper term. Can't you tell me anything? At least tell me how you know so much about me, Ellen demanded rather lamely. I'm sorry, Ellen, but I'm afraid that I can't answer that question either. As he said this, Ellen had the feeling that Orta didn't know the answer either. There was just the slightest look in his expression that conveyed it. Maybe that was why he wasn't telling her everything, she thought. He simply doesn't know himself. Orta said, Just have faith, Ellen. Everything will be fine once we reach Torres. All of your questions will be answered then. Torres? Is that the name of your planet? Yes. Torres. You will love it there, and you will enjoy it. It is beautiful, he declared with more than a hint of pride. What's it like? You can tell me that much, can't you? That question I can answer. As I said before, it's quite similar to your Earth in appearance. There are bodies of water, just like your oceans, lakes, and rivers. But unlike Earth, most of Torres is comprised of land. Two-thirds land, to be exact. There are also lower animals living on both land and in the water, as on Earth. The names we have assigned to them are different in most instances, but the actual species are quite similar. There are, however, many more species of both land and water creatures on Torres than are found on Earth. With the exception of normal evolutionary processes, there is no such thing as an endangered species, as you refer to it on Earth. You see, Ellen, one of the greatest differences between Earth and Torres is that there is virtually no pollution of any kind. Our air is extremely clean, as well as our bodies of water and land masses. We learned long ago that these things can't be taken for granted. Your Earth, I'm afraid, is in a most unfortunate condition. You're telling me, but what about the people? What are they like? Ellen asked. Quite different in many ways, but very similar in others. Physically, we are exactly like you in every detail. We are, after all, human, just like you. We propagate just as you do on Earth and raise our children and family units as well. We also have the ritual of marriage, although our ceremony is markedly different from any of those found in your many cultures. Love, you see, is the single most cherished concept on Tares, and is actually the foundation of our entire planet. Tares literally means world with love, when translated from the ancient scriptures. Oh yes, and we have our religion too. It is universal, though, and absolute. There are no disparate spiritual or religious philosophies. Are you married, Orta? Orta chuckled. Of course. I have a wife known as Sona, and two young children a boy and a girl. They are all beautiful. What is your wife doing, now that you're away from her? Ellen asked curiously. She is most likely at work now. She paints portraits of people. We have a large workspace in our home for her occupation. The children love to watch her at work. And what do you do for a living, Orta? I am what I guess you might refer to as a diplomatic aide. Please don't ask me to elaborate, for I am not at liberty to do so. That's okay, she said. What are some of the other differences between Tares and Earth? I'm dying to know. Well, Tares is, of course, much more technologically advanced than Earth. We have had nothing to stand in the way of our progress. 
There are no wars, no starvation, and most importantly, there is no hate on Tares. Without these impediments, we have succeeded in evolving quite naturally throughout the ages. We have used our scientific achievements in only the most beneficial and constructive ways. Love and life are most precious to us, and they are the criteria upon which we have based our achievements. You will perhaps learn more about this when we arrive. Orta paused, glancing at what resembled a wristwatch strapped to his wrist. Excuse me, Ellen, it's time to report in. He pressed a button on the instrument panel, and immediately a section of the panel whirred open, revealing what appeared to be a small television screen. As if on cue, the image of a middle-aged man sitting comfortably in a large chair materialized on the screen. Orta spoke. All is well, sir. Requesting orders at 0200 hours, Earth time. Very well, Orta. I trust that Ellen is in healthy spirits, the man on the screen replied. Orta glanced over at Ellen and smiled. Yes, sir. She seems to be holding up quite well. Very well, Orta. Your orders are as follows. At 0214 hours, Earth time, administer booster capsule. At 0216 hours, proceed in rapid motion mode into Tara's orbit. Then make contact with base station at Sanguine. They will take over from there. Confirmed? Affirmative. Thank you, sir, Orta replied to the screen. The screen suddenly slid closed. Who is that? Ellen asked Orta, gesturing to the screen. He is known as the Overseer. You will be meeting him shortly, Orta said, again glancing at his wristwatch. Shortly? Ellen exclaimed. Yes. I can tell by your expression that you have assumed that we would be traveling for days, or even weeks, to reach Tares. In reality, it would take several million light years to reach my planet at this rate of speed. However, I'm afraid we don't have enough time to be engaging in a pleasure cruise, he chuckled. We will be traveling at a speed slightly greater than the speed with which we left Earth. We have only paused for this duration to allow you to recover from the effects of traveling at such a high rate of speed. Furthermore, the useful potency of the drug I gave you is for only a very brief duration. Ellen gazed out of the window. Several million light years away, she thought to herself. Suddenly, the sheer vastness of the universe was completely unfathomable to her. As she looked out the myriad of stars twinkling in the limitless blackness of space, she wondered how many light-years away they were. She slowly shook her head in amazement. "'Please ingest this, Ellen,' Orta said, handing her another capsule wrapped in green translucent plastic. "'Okay,' Ellen replied as she touched the disc and reached for the decanter of water. Orta pressed a button, and once again the instrument panel rotated to its former position." Ellen watched him as he pressed the various buttons and switches. He paused for a moment and looked at his wristwatch. Okay, Ellen, please listen. This will be a little different than it was leaving Earth because we don't have to deal with this gravitational pull. We will be traveling for approximately five minutes, and it is imperative that you remain calm throughout this period. You must wear these, he said, handing her a set of headphones. It will soothe you. Ellen put on the headphones. Just as she did so, strange, beautiful music poured into her ears, and she instantly found herself absorbed in it. There was a mesmerizing quality to the ethereal melody, and as she listened, she could feel herself falling into a twilight-light sleep. She gazed at the stars, and out of the corner of her eye could see Orta pushing the big red button. Suddenly, all went black again. 
In her left ear, a faint tinkling sound grew gradually louder and faster in tempo until it crescendoed into her right ear. Just as it crescendoed, a steady hypnotic rhythm poured into both of her ears in a sparkling instant, filling her head with sound. All of a sudden, a solitary voice started singing. A second higher-pitched voice joined in, in perfect harmony. The two voices sang in unison, as a third voice emerged in her right ear, singing over the two-part harmony in her left ear. She couldn't understand the lyrics, because they were being sung in a strange language she had never heard before. The song was simply beautiful. Ellen was thoroughly enthralled by it her mind totally relaxed and at ease. Even though she couldn't understand the lyrics of the song that were being sung in her right ear, the harmonies being sung in her left ear made its message quite clear. It was a song about absolute love. Moments later, the song began fading out ever so gradually. The tinkling sound remained in her right ear and became the solitary sound as the rest of the music eventually faded out completely. The tinkling sound started fading out as well, until she could no longer hear it. Then suddenly, a blast of white light. Ellen blinked her eyes a couple of times. She could see again. There in the distance, she saw a huge sphere partially obscured by white cloud masses. There she is, Ellen. Tarez, she heard Orta announce beside her. We're here already? Yes, and as you can see, it is similar to Earth. Dumbfounded, Ellen stared out at the faraway planet known as Tarez. While Ellen observed, Orta engaged the navigating instrument panel and pressed the button that exposed the screen. Requesting landing instructions from Base 1 Sanguine, confirm please. A young man approximately Orta's age suddenly appeared on the screen. Hello, Orta. Proceed at your present orbit momentarily. We are readying the hangar for touchdown. Thank you, Vars. Holding present course. Ellen looked over at him. Why don't we just beam in? she asked innocently. Orta laughed heartily. I'm afraid the beaming in, as you refer to it, is a bit more difficult than beaming out of a planet. Ellen's embarrassment was obvious. Orta's expression became serious. I am sorry for laughing at your expense, Ellen. Please forgive me. After what you've been through, I imagine that anything seems possible. It's okay. You're forgiven, Orta. Who was that man you were just talking to? Vars? He's been a friend of mine for as long as I can remember. My wife and I frequently entertain Vars and his wife, known as Beta. They are both great fun. What kind of things do you all do together? Often we go dancing. There are many entertainment clubs in Sanguine. Sometimes we just entertain with cards and music at home. It is in many ways much like leisure time on Earth. Is Sanguine your hometown? Yes, it is. Sanguine is the equivalent of New York City in your sector of Earth. A very populated, happening place, I guess you would say. Considerably cleaner, though, I might add. I can't wait to see it. You will, very soon, Orta said as he continued to maneuver the craft in a steady orbit high above Tarez. Moments later, the screen came to life again. Orta? Commence entry at 20,000, Vars said over the screen. Okay, Vars, Orta replied. He deftly turned the steering mechanism to the left, and the tiny spacecraft responded accordingly. Seconds later, he straightened out the stick, and the craft leveled out. I'm at 20,000, Vars, Orta said as he noted one of the many instruments on the panel. You are clear for entry now. Switch over power and proceed at 45 degrees at 8,000. Affirmative. Orta tripped one of the switches, and for the first time since they left Earth, 
Ellen became aware of a whining sound coming from the rear of the craft. Power switched over. We're coming in. As Orta pulled back on the steering device, Ellen heard the whining sound increase in intensity. The craft swung to the left at a wide angle and then downward toward the planet as he carefully maneuvered the controls. The tiny spacecraft darted swiftly toward the huge bluish orb until all that could be seen through the little window was the mass itself. In a few moments, Ellen could make out the outline of land and smaller tracings of blue within the land that she assumed were bodies of water. She recalled what Orta had said about Tara's being comprised of two-thirds land, and noted the obvious contrast with Earth. Approaching outer atmosphere, decrease velocity to 6,000, the face on the screen said. Okay, Vars, decreasing to 6,000. The craft began rocking intently as it entered the thin air. Traces of mist began appearing outside the window. Entering atmosphere, decreased to 3,000 and set course for 60 degrees at Mark 5. Or to press several buttons, tripped a couple of switches. Course locked in. Velocity decreased to 3,000. As the whining died down to a steady whir, visibility became totally obscured by thick white fog. Decreased to 1,500 and hold. Affirmative, Orta replied, then made the necessary adjustments. Level off to 90, decreased to 800. Orta pushed in on the stick and the craft seemed to surge upward. Suddenly, Ellen could see bright twinkling lights through the dense fog. Please confirm visual, Orta. Visual confirmed. Decreased to 350. You're on your own. Thank you, Vars. The fog suddenly began clearing and Ellen could see land straight ahead through the thinning wisps. She had expected to see a long concrete runway of some kind, but was astonished to discover only the rich green grass of a wide open field. They were going to land in a cow pasture. My God, she blurted out in utter shock. Orta chuckled. Not quite your conventional airport, is it, Ellen? The engineers could see no reason to rape the land simply for the sake of landing a spacecraft. It's only logical. As Orta maneuvered the craft between the two rows of blinking blue lights, Ellen could just make out a brightly lit sign where the light suddenly ended approximately a half a mile away. The sign was triangle-shaped, and void of any markings where it sat, dead center between the two rows of lights. Ellen was confused. Where in the world are we going to land, anyway? Do you see that sign up ahead? The hangar is 150 feet directly below it, Orta replied. But how do we get down to it? There's nothing but land there, she asked with a bewildered look on her face. The same way I got into your dwelling. Now, hold on. Orta angled the nose of the craft downward, and the whirring sound suddenly stopped completely. Ellen could feel her weight lunging forward against the safety harness as the craft suddenly decelerated with a roar. Just as it looked as if they were going to crash into the triangular sign, the craft came to a complete stop just before it. Another couple of seconds and we're in, Orta declared. Ellen felt a strange sensation as they sat there, suspended in midair ten feet above the ground. Orta pressed a button that read Decorpitaz, and she was suddenly aware of a humming sound that reverberated within the entire interior of the craft. As it grew in intensity for the next few seconds, she recognized the sound as being the same one she had heard when she was laying in her bed back on Earth. Suddenly, Everything around her started dissolving into thin air as the humming noise grew louder until it almost became intolerable. Then, darkness. The next thing she knew, she was staring through the window at a high, brightly lit ceiling. Welcome to Tarez, Ellen, Orta announced formally. Ellen looked over at him. Wow, was all she could say. You may remove the safety harness now. 
As Ellen began taking off the straps in a dazed stupor, Orta pushed a button and the seats began sliding down toward the base of the craft. When they reached the bottom, the hatch slid open with a whooshing sound. Orta stepped out, offering Ellen a hand. Ellen took his hand and stepped off to join him. Ellen looked around. They were in a large room with walls that appeared to be made of shiny white plastic, the reflection of the bright light suspended from the ceiling glistening and shimmering throughout the cavernous interior of the hangar. With the exception of the spacecraft and the two of them, the remainder of the room was virtually void except for an enormous plate-glass window located at the far side of the room. Behind the window, Ellen could see Vars standing before a huge wall of instruments and gauges of some kind. Just then, he made his way out of the enclosed room and entered the hangar through a sliding hatch. He walked briskly toward them. "'Welcome back, Orta,' he said, when he reached them, extending his hand to Orta. "'Thank you, Vars.' "'May I introduce you to Ellen? Ellen, meet Vars.' He shook Ellen's hand. "'Nice to meet you.' "'The pleasure is mine,' Vars replied. "'The overseer is awaiting you most anxiously, Ellen. Orta will escort you to him.' Ellen noticed the similarity between his voice and that of Orta's, the same calm, soothing, almost mesmerizing quality to it. And although he wasn't as tall and handsome as Orta, Vars' magnetic charm and confident air weren't any less compelling.' Standing between the two of these friendly, good-natured beings from another planet suddenly made Ellen feel very small. "'Are you and Lita coming to our home tonight, Vars?' Orta asked his friend. "'Yes, we will be there. I'm sorry, but I must get back and do some paperwork. Have a good day, Orta. It's been a pleasure, Ellen.' Vars turned and headed back toward the enclosed room. "'Come this way, Ellen,' Orta said, gesturing to another door at the other end of the hangar. "'This is the entrance to the tube.' It will transport us to the city. When they reached the door, it opened automatically. Ellen stared in awe as they entered what appeared to be a huge subway station. The floors and walls were an immaculate white that glistened in the light that shone through the enormous clear glass window located high above. Scores of people were milling about casually amidst a myriad of numerous potted plants with flowers that adorned virtually every walkway and entrance to the station. In the center of the brightly lit room sat an enormous fountain, surrounded by an array of exotic plants and shrubs. Fine jet sprays of water shimmered in a rainbow of dazzling colors beneath the penetrating rays of sunlight coming through the glass ceiling. Ellen looked up at the ceiling and could see the blue of the sky beyond it. "'This is beautiful!' she exclaimed in awe. "'This is merely a minor tube station. Just wait until you see the city!' Lord exclaimed, unable to suppress his pride. As he led her through the throngs of people toward the platform, Ellen noticed that virtually every person wore the same happy, tranquil expressions as Orda and Vars wore. She could sense an air of goodwill and joy in these people that left her with feelings of astonishment and contentment. She also noted the wide variety of clothes they were wearing, which ranged from simple and funky to futuristic and exotic. She was soon shocked to discover that a few of the men, women, and children were wearing no clothes at all. "'Why are some of these people nude?' she asked Orta as subtly as she could manage. "'I suppose because they prefer to be nude. As I told you before, everything is fashionable on Torres. But don't they seem sort of out of place?' she asked, taking into account that the majority of the people were clothed. "'Of course not. No one is out of place here. We are all human beings, are we not?' Ellen thought for a moment. "'Hey, you're right.' Suddenly it all made perfect sense to her for some reason. 
As they neared the platform, Ellen became aware of electronic music permeating the atmosphere above the sound of the clattering people. Like the people, the music was calm and soothing. Just as they reached the edge of the platform, she heard a whooshing noise coming from her right. Two seconds later, a long cylindrical vehicle sped noiselessly into the station just in front of the platform. There were no wheels or appendages of any kind visible. With the exception of the tinted glass windows, it was pure shiny white. Stanza Station, all aboard. Please watch your step. Next stop, Buxton. The conductor's voice said pleasantly over the intercom. This way, Ellen, Orta said, leading her through the sliding door into the vehicle. Inside were rows of deep cushioned seats, all white and facing forward, with headrests and armrests. Everything was immaculately clean. Orta motioned Ellen to a seat where they both sat down. Then the door slid closed noiselessly, and the vehicle suddenly lunged forward at an incredible rate of speed. This sure is a far cry from the IRT, Ellen said admiringly. Orta looked at her with a puzzled look. What was that? Ellen just laughed. Oh, nothing. In what seemed like seconds, they pulled into another station and stopped. Buxton Station. Welcome to the heart of Sanguine. Please watch your step and have a nice day. Next stop, Randos. The words of the conductor rang out merrily. Orta stood up from his seat and took Ellen's hand as he led her through the door into the station. When she stepped onto the platform, Ellen looked around her. The station was quite similar to the one they had just left, with the exception that it was twice as large and much more crowded. Also, in addition to the plants and an enormous fountain, were little shops and restaurants that could be seen to either side of the long platform. Ellen was astounded at the multitudes of people, calmly making their way through the station as if they had all the time in the world, and know the contrast with Grand Central Station in New York, and the typical scenario there. People rushing madly about as if the world was going to end at any moment, the anxiety written all over their faces. She realized that she herself had been part of that scenario many times, and she now wondered what the big hurry had been for. Why couldn't everyone just take their time and enjoy living for a change, as these people so obviously could? Was it really that hard to do, she wondered? What's the secret? What do these people know that we don't know? Why, Ellen? She looked over at Orta, who was staring at her with a bemused expression on his face. She wasn't sure of it, but she felt as though he had been reading her mind. Is there anything wrong? he asked her. Oh, no. I was just thinking about how nice everyone seems to be here. It's amazing. Orta looked confused. What do you mean? Oh, I don't really know how to put it. People on Earth just seem so high-strung. You know, it's almost as if they don't care about anyone but themselves. The people here seem much more caring and civilized. I just can't get over it. Orta looked at her in apparent disbelief as if he didn't want to believe that what she was saying was true. Perhaps you just imagine these things. We are all humans, whether we live on Earth or on Taurus. That is a fact. And by being human, we all share the same common principles of love and compassion for our fellow humans, no matter how strikingly different our ways of life are on these two planets. The scriptures clearly testify to this. Ellen was confused. Suddenly she wondered just how much Orta really knew about life on Earth. She looked into his eyes, and for a fleeting moment, she felt as if his calm, calculating train of thought had been disrupted, or rather, disturbed. Confused at this possibility, she decided at best to change the subject. The sure is a busy station. Is it always this crowded, she asked? Orta chuckled. Oh, no. Many of these people are tourists on holiday over the week's end. As I told you before, 
Sanguine is much like New York City. A real tourist trap, as you would say. Oh, I see, Ellen said. Orta motioned toward the far end of the station. Those lifts over there will transport us to the street. Come along, Ellen. He again took her by the hand and began leading her through the maze of people across the white floor to the other end of the station. When they arrived, Ellen could see a series of hatches lined up along the glistening white walls. Orta stepped toward one of them, and the hatch slid open, exposing a fairly large compartment resembling an elevator. Ellen followed him in, and the hatch slid shut behind her. Then the compartment began rising upward automatically. Moments later, the hatch opened again. They stepped out together. Ellen did a double take. There before her stood scores of towering sky-blue skyscrapers, their tops literally obscured from view due to their sheer height. They were all constructed of some sort of shiny plastic material and blended perfectly with the sky itself. Their sides glistened in the brightness of an enormous sun that hung high overhead. Countless rectangles of tinted glass dotted the entire visible length of the mammoth buildings, each and every one of them slanted at oblique angles to the sides. "'How high are they?' Ellen asked, craning her neck. "'Most of them are just over an earth mile high,' Orta replied. "'But what keeps them from falling over?' she asked in amazement. "'Simple material physics. Light materials and an extremely secure foundation.' The buildings are also embedded in the ground approximately one earth mile deep. Good Lord! Everything is located in these buildings. Stores, restaurants, entertainment clubs, medical facilities, everything. It is all very practical this way, Orta told her. Do people live in these monstrous things? Orta smiled broadly. Of course not, except for the overseer, that is. Which reminds me, we mustn't keep him waiting. As Vars told you, he is quite anxious to meet with you. As Orta took her hand and started moving forward, Ellen observed ground level for the first time since they had come out of the lift. She was surprised to see that the streets, Orta had referred to, were little more than glorified sidewalks. She could see no vehicles of any kind, and in fact no traffic at all, except for the scores of pedestrians who walked merrily along these cobblestone walkways. As she strode beside him, she admired the beautiful plants and flowers lining the thoroughfares and the neatly manicured lawns of rich green grass that adorned the fronts and sides of virtually every mile-high building they passed. Occasionally they would pass by a grove of trees, skirting a pond or small lake. Birds sang their songs from these large, broad-leaved trees, and in the waterways were various species of waterfowl, including ducks, herons, and geese. For some reason, the natural environment seemed to blend perfectly with the man-made wonders of the tall skyscrapers, a perfect coexistence between man and nature. After they had walked several blocks, Ellen realized that apart from the chatter of the people walking nearby and the sounds made by the animals, there was virtually no noise to speak of, no horns honking, no engines revving, no tires squealing, just silence, calm, peaceful silence. This sensation totally overwhelmed her. Soon they came to a building with the words Administrative inscribed in marble above its entrance. Orta led her toward the long walkway leading to it. This building houses all the governmental bodies that preside over Sanguine, Orta said as they made their way toward the entrance. The Interplanetary Governmental Institution is located here as well. Sanguine, you see, is the nucleus of our entire planet, a sort of capital of capitals, you might say. Does the overseer live here? Ellen asked. Yes, on the top floor. They reached the entrance and a pair of sliding doors parted open. 
They went through the doorway and entered a spacious lobby that was luxuriously carpeted in a rich regal red. The lobby was relatively empty except for a few people who were observing partitioned screens that hung down from the acoustic tile ceiling. Apparently the screens served as visual directories to the building, as well as information kiosks. Excuse me for a moment, Ellen. I must report to the overseer and alert him of our arrival, Orta said. As he walked over to one of the hallways and out of sight, Ellen went over to one of the screens and looked at it. Below the blank screen was a series of buttons, each one designated by a number followed by a word. Timidly, Ellen pressed the button labeled 7, Health and Well-Being. Immediately the screen came to life. The first thing to appear was a graphic display depicting the name of this particular governmental branch, its location, room number, and a list of the names of people who made up the branch. Then the picture on the screen changed. It was an excerpt from something that Ellen surmised was probably of political or religious origin as she read it. And the health and well-being of all our inhabitants shall be maintained and sustained by a duly appointed body bearing said name. In times of sickness, either physical or mental, this body must and shall be available to do all of those things possible to relieve and mollify those in suffering. For this is its solitary purpose, and to fail in its purpose is to fail in the eyes of God. Book 7 Just as she finished reading the last sentence, Orda returned and stood beside her. I see that your earthly curiosity has gotten the best of you, he said. Ellen looked at him questioningly. What is this quotation from? Orda looked at the screen and said, This is an excerpt from Book 7 of the Ancient Scriptures. These scriptures are the very basis of all life on Tares. They are highly regarded and closely followed, as closely as is humanly possible, that is. Perhaps you will learn more about this later, but now we must hurry. I spoke with the overseer, and he is allowing me to take you up to the observatory, but only for a short time. Then I must take you to him. Come now, Ellen, and I will show you where I live. As he led her down a hallway, Ellen wanted to know more about these ancient scriptures, but she refrained from questioning Orda any further. The prospect of going to the observatory and seeing where he lived was more intriguing to her now. In a short time they reached a door at the end of the hall that she surmised was the entrance to an elevator. She saw that the row of illuminated numbers above the door started at one and went all the way up to six hundred. After the door slid open and they entered the spacious compartment, Orta announced, I must adjust the speed of this lift for your benefit. It really moves. After rotating a dial on the panel, he pressed the button marked Observatory, and the lift began ascending rapidly. Ellen felt her ears pop a dozen times before the lift finally slowed down to a complete stop. The door opened, and they stepped out. They were on the roof of the skyscraper. When they reached the protective railing near its edge, Ellen gazed out in sheer disbelief and awe at the panorama that lay below her. For miles and miles she could see nothing but green open fields, trees, lakes, ponds, grazing pastures, and the tiny dots of countless houses painted in various subtle shades of color. Beyond this rural pastoral setting were the white of sandy beaches and the deep blue of an ocean and beyond the horizon of the ocean she could see two large round spheres setting in the sky and reflecting the light of the sun in an eerie shade of orange and magenta oh orda this is so beautiful ellen exclaimed in utter fascination yes it is do you live in one of those houses yes my family and i live very close to the ocean my wife and i walk along the beach together every morning 
Are those moons out there? Ellen asked, pointing to the two spheres that lay in almost a direct line with each other over the horizon. Those are the two moons of Tares. They have been given the names Venus and Manus. No one has ever explored them, for the scriptures clearly forbid it. It is the common belief that they are sacred, and that they could quite possibly be the final resting place. But no one is really certain of this. Final resting place? Yes, where souls live in eternity. Oh, you mean like heaven? Orta smiled in an odd way. Yes, something like that. Ellen was intrigued by this. She couldn't believe that with all the technology and intelligence that the inhabitants of Tares obviously possessed, they hadn't even yet explored their own two moons that were practically in their backyard. Yet, they would venture to such faraway places as Earth at the drop of a hat. Apparently, these scriptures had a lot of clout, indeed. Ellen's eyes returned to the countryside. It looks as though everybody lives on a farm. Orta nodded. We do all our own gardening. The soil has a very high yield. There is very little waste of land on Tares. And virtually no pollution, Ellen added, noting the crystal clear sky and sparkling blue water of the ponds and lakes. Barely a trace. Orta glanced at his wristwatch. It is time for me to take you to the overseer. Perhaps later you will have more time for observation. Regretfully, Ellen took one last look at the breathtaking view. Earth has an awful lot to learn, she thought to herself, as the total enchantment of Torres suddenly registered in her mind. Orta took her by the hand and led her back to the lift. Once inside, he pressed a button and the lift descended only one floor. When the door slid open, Orta gestured to a door across the hall. The overseer resides there. Just enter that door and he will meet with you. It's been a pleasure bringing you to Torres, Ellen. Goodbye, he said, extending his hand. Aren't you coming with me? He shook his head. No, the overseer wishes to see you alone. Ellen suddenly felt apprehensive. Up to now, she had felt at relative ease for the sole reason that Orta had been in her company. But now, he was suddenly leaving her alone to go meet with a total stranger whom she knew nothing about. She panicked. Please go with me, she pleaded. Orta merely looked deep into her eyes and smiled serenely. Everything will be fine, Ellen. Believe me. Okay? Somehow, his tranquility reassured her. Okay, Orta. Thank you so much for everything, she said sincerely. Then she paused for a moment and said, Will I be seeing you ever again? Perhaps, he replied mysteriously. Goodbye, Ellen. Goodbye, Orta. As the door slid shut, Ellen had a very strong feeling that she would never lay eyes on Orta again. She also sensed that he knew it, too. With a heavy sigh, she turned and stared over at the door she was to enter. She stood there anxiously and wondered what was going to happen next. Behind that door lay the answers she sought. At last, she would finally find out why she had been brought to this enchanting planet known as Tares. So why was she so nervous all of a sudden, she wondered. Because now, she wasn't so sure she wanted to know. Suddenly, everything seemed so sickeningly real. Why was she here? What was going to happen to her once she passed through this door? Who the hell was this overseer character, anyway? What if he was some kind of lunatic just waiting to pounce on her and do unimaginable acts of perverted lust? Then she recalled what Orta had told her. She wasn't to be harmed in any way, and she would return to Earth. Suddenly, she thanked her lucky stars for Orta. She knew she could trust him, and believe him. 
With a shrug of her shoulders, Ellen moved toward the door. Everything will be just fine, she told herself. Just keep your cool. What cool? I'm trembling like a leaf. Why am I so afraid? Christ, I just can't go through with this. She turned around quickly and for a moment considered running away. Then she stopped dead in her tracks. And where did she plan on running to? She was a stranger on a strange planet. With a half-hearted laugh, Ellen turned around and headed back toward the door, as she realized the futility of the whole situation. She simply had to go in there, and that was all there was to it. Period. Mustering up as much courage as she possibly could, Ellen walked up to the door. Like magic, it slid open.